Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Greetings, guys. Welcome back to the Boga Pass Horror Podcast. As always, from Boston, this is Scott. And as always, from the basement in LA, this is Jim. <laughs> and we are celebrating the 100th anniversary today of the ultra classic black and white German feature, Nosferatu. Nosferatu, a symphony of horror, whatever you're. Uh... So, I mean, this is one we had obviously discussed doing, you know, upwards of a year ago. And it's, God, it didn't even occur to me as we were talking about in planning shows for 2022 that we had the 100th anniversary so it just right. it, it worked out perfectly well I mean, we, we we'd already done dracula so we kind of did this movie already. we kind of did i was <laughs> gonna for a minute that's it. right i was gonna mention that pre-show of, during our little conversation but we could talk about it now yeah. i don't think we have to go bit for bit on this on this one i mean if you've I seen dracula so. you've, you've seen nosferatu well you know you you know you know the basic story i i do think you know there's some there's some differences that are worth noting that i'd like to like get into but yeah for sure Hundred percent. So this one is starring, um, of course, Max Schreck, who does an amazing job as Count Orlock, Gustav Vern Wegeheim as uh, Tom Hutter, and for those who haven't seen this movie, think of John Hawker slash Good Renfield or Sane Renfield, I guess. Greta Schroeder as his wife Ellen Hutter. Again, as we we talked about, this one has um, oh God, this could be a, a five hour episode just discussing the controversy and the banishment of this film. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the college class is based on the, the, the German expressionism on, on this, this film. So right. I don't even know where to start Jim. I'm, I, I almost want to be a fan here and just listen to you kind of take off. I, I, I think, I mean, in a funny way, the thing the film is, is most famous for is the fact that it was almost destroyed and, right. and taken away from us. I think this is probably the only the first film we've covered, Scott, that we almost couldn't wouldn't be doing this because the film almost th- didn't exist. In case anyone out there, I'm sure most of you are totally cognizant of the story, but here's the fable just just once more. Nosferatu is made in 1922 by F.W. Murnau, the director, and Albin Grau is the producer, kind of the scenarist, production designer. Uh, illustrator, most of those really cool charcoal-looking uh, posters you see for Nosferatu at the time were actually done by him. He's an amazingly talented guy, an occultist. Um, they were made. It was made by a, a film studio, a Prada. It was. I'm sorry. It was made by Prada Films, which was Grau's production company. It was the only film they ever made. They wanted to do these um, occultist, uh, esoteric uh, productions. Nosferatu is the only film the the company makes before they go bankrupt. And and I don't know. I think it partially had to do with this controversy. So. There's a general con- there's a general understanding that the film was is based on the the Bram Stoker book Dracula and that the names were changed and the setting the names of the settings were changed the location was changed from England to Germany in, as a way to avoid copyright infringement. There's some speculation about that. Producers of the film sort of thought it was just going to be a German film for Germans. They didn't think they were. To, to possibly to some degree beholden to copyright because international copyright, you're talking about England versus Germany here at this point in 1922. International copyright, the laws were pretty vague still at the time. It was it was still being worked out and it's still complicated. Trust me, as a guy who gets his films bootlegged in China, trust me, international copyright's 
still a tricky matter. So the and and in the original version, it was acknowledged that it was inspired by Dracula by Bram Stoker. So so it does seem that the producers were. It's not like they were like willfully ignorant of the of 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 anything, but it was believed that it was a German film for Germans. I think is the best. Um, explanation for it so yeah. it was an adaptate freely adapted i think is the way that, they. that's they exactly it. what it was freely yeah. adapted freely, freely it, it adapted was, yeah. and it was part of the the publicity of this movie so again yeah i had read that they had changed the words to avoid copyright and basically avoid lawsuits yeah but at the same time unabashedly said you know this is absolutely 1000 percent based on yes. ram stoker's dracula in yeah. a, and, and a hungarian film had already been made that was based on dracula too that ignored copyright but it was small enough that i don't think it noticed but this film, I think, partly is a result of it being so well made and so such a such a impressive piece of cinema, did uh, get to the attention of uh, Florence Stoker. Florence Stoker is Bram Stoker's widow. Uh, Bram Stoker dies in his fifties or so, and I think she's a little younger at the time. There's a possibility that Stoker died of syphilis or syphilis-related complications. Um, by the way, but um, and despite the success of Dracula. Stoker had been a working man his whole life. He'd managed the Lyceum Theater. He he kind of had a he had a day job for a large, large part of his life. So he, he didn't die with a heck of a lot of money. And Florence Stoker was left with not a heck of a lot of money. She's the one who published Dracula's Guest. That you know, she's got the the ex the lost chapter right of, of from Dracula. Yeah, and, and, and she kind of lived off of the proceeds of that. And there's some speculation that that, that might have been not have been totally written by Brom before his death as well. Yep. No, I had heard the same thing. And yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Brom, like you said, he was. You know, Brown was the every man. Like he did not die a wealthy man. His widows was certainly, um, yeah, yeah. You know, need to be taken care of. And you know, basically, shortly after this film came out, I think as early as like 1923, she was already had she had the legal wheels in motion to yes. cease and desist this this movie. Yeah. You know, knowing yeah. that she wasn't going to make a, a dime off of right. off of the movie. And, which, and 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 in a crazy court decision, she won the this this decision to ha- not only to have. Uh, Prada films distribute the, the the movie anymore. So, like that would be a normal cease and desist. Would be like you can't show this movie. You 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 know. Right. She, the the legal decision goes a step further and and agrees that all prints should be burned, which is really, right. Pretty um, extreme. If if you get, we'll get through this in just another minute or two, guys. But but if you want to get take a deep dive into it, check out there's a there's a article in on the website Den of Geek by a guy named David Crow about this that goes deep deep into it. But I just want to I just want to read a, a, a segment of it that I think is really an interesting take on on this whole controversy on on Florence Stoker's lawsuit to to have uh, Nosferatu destroyed. It describes Florence Stoker as being best known as the architect behind what some might call the greatest act of attempted vandalism in cinematic history. She pursued with the tenacity of Abra Van Helsing a scorched earth crusade intent on having all prints of Nosferatu burned to ash. What I love about it is it paints this idea that like at the end of her life, Florence Stoker's sort of becomes a vampire hunter, right? Except the it's vampire not- she's hunting is this mythical Nosferatu Count Orlog vampire. Oh, it's but yeah. Fun. I mean, you just, you don't know what to believe. I feel like kind of the story becomes bigger than, you know, I mean, just, you know, decades go by, decades go by, yeah. you know, right at accounts that there was one copy left in the entire world. Uh, yeah. And that's yeah. the one that was, you know, bootlegged over to like the United States and then yeah. you know, basically ultimately yeah. saved. But yeah, it sounds like Florence, this was like her mission up until she passed away that, you know, even, you know, living, I think she came over to the United States and heard that there was like some little cinema showing uh, Nosferatu, you know, demanded that, you know, they, they, they burn all the film and everything. <laughs> like, so she, she was like pretty 
<laughs> she's like she's on. like Harry Houdini exposing uh, seances or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but it does feel like it was more in her defense. I think I think it's easy to paint Florence Stokers as mad woman at this point, but. I think in her defense, it, it becomes about her protecting the legacy of her, her you know, lost husband. And I think she it was beyond a monetary thing that, you know, that she wanted to penalize the, the, these people. I think she really did want to. I think I think she maybe she thought this was a perversion of the work her her husband had created. I, I don't know. But of course, because when, you know, when um, when Universal comes calling and wants to make a film version of Dracula, like you know they go the right way and they buy the rights and stuff but she seemed you know it seems like i don't know if it's her or her kids at that point but it was you know the the stoker estate seemed happy to well this it would have been earlier than that right it would have been the balderston um productions yeah on, i mean she stage right yeah yeah I mean, she like, died not long in, after this well she died in 37 so i know she had right. active yeah she was actively yeah, so she's still around yeah she's still around i mean she was actively you know negotiating with universal and like yeah. you said they cut a check just just fat hey. enough for florence to be comfortable and but that's good like towards the end of her life then okay she 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 got some she got some cash and she enjoyed the and and i think see that her husband's legacy was in good hands and would keep continuing on and on. i don't know if she could have predicted how long it would that we'd still have bella Lugosi you know, lunch boxes and stuff. I don't know about that, but well, um, luckily she didn't get to see. I mean, I think come nineteen sixty or something. Basically, Dracula was declared public domain. So luckily, maybe her kids and her grandkids got to see, you know, their grandfather's work become <laughs> basically just open to the public. But she 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 she, she didn't live to see Love at First Bite. No, um, which is probably that, a blessing. I think she would have. A, I think Flory Stoker would have had a little problem with Love at First Bite <laughs> with them with them disco dancing. But you never know. She she might have liked Guy Hamilton. Okay. Anyway, so so but but again, guys, uh, you you we could do a whole podcast just on this controversy because it's a very interesting story. But again, head over to Den of Geek, David Crow's um article, and it's 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 really well written, and I do like the way he frames it as 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 this uh this this van helsing like quest that she goes on and stuff we kind of talked about in the opening here i mean this is basically oh, not quite a beat for beat remake of the book but it certainly hits hits all the major beats so um you know it really basically, does it, yeah i mean aside from a couple of name changes so we have this character um thomas hutter who's the young aspiring lawyer you know real estate mind working for this guy named knock who is right. you know kind of the head big shot real estate dude who you know ultimately becomes kind of like renfield yeah so it kind of starts out with these two so knock is the boss and sends this hutter as you know from the story of dracula to well, i was gonna say i almost said transylvania but this stays strictly in germany to a nice German castle to meet this. Well, it does mention Transylvania later on. So, okay, here's the other thing we should talk about, guys. <laughs> um, Scott and I are both, we're doing this podcast having watched the Kino Lober Blu-ray release of Nosferatu that came out um, just a couple of years ago, right, Scott? I'm not sure how long ago. Yeah, it's a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's a um, two-disc Blu-ray. One's like yeah. the English subtitles, one's the German subtitles. One's German. It is um, absolutely gorgeous. This this version, uh, it's it's um, taken from a 1939 safety print. Uh, there's a check print that's used for some of the stuff. Um, there's a nitrate print they used as a, as a basis um, that, that was released under, I guess, as it was re-released under the title of The Twelfth Hour, which is neat. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's sort of a combination combination of a, of a couple different prints that they've put together and then restored. The big difference for me versus, you know, Scott, like we grew up, like I remember buying this on on vhs because it you know there's no ironically there's no copyright on nosferatu <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's in public domain so uh you could buy it at the you know at, at flea markets right remember for like two bucks that's exactly where i got like mine a it was like a flea market for like two bucks and it was like the worst quality oh yeah film ever 
Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it, first of all, it's a bad print of the film, and then also it's a bad transfer. And then oh, third of all, you're watching on VHS, which is like 200 DPI or some crap no, like that. I mean, but the but the big difference that I noticed in this one is that the um, I think the truest version of the original intertitles are restored. Those the words you know that come up, guys, on the sound home between you know the right. takes and stuff when someone says something or, or description, and they're there seem to be more of them they change the story slightly there they go a little deeper into the narrative of things it's really interesting yeah i mean one thing too i was really impressed by not only just the the, the imagery but the score they really did such a nice job remastering i think it's as far as i know the original score that they just they blast through i mean it's just amazing actually the, the film opens up and it's you know we have like an act one act two act three act four uh-huh. but it opens up score so you get to actually listen to the original score of nasratu which i think was was really fun I will say, and, and and while I I think they did an amazing job restoring the, the 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 picture, I will say that my least maybe my least favorite thing about this edition of it is the music. I feel it, while it could be more of the original version, I feel like very often the music's big when it should should be small. It's small when it should be big. It mm-hmm. it it kind of is not overly intuitive. Um, it doesn't seem to sync a lot of times with what's happening in the film. A lot, a lot of times it goes into this very lighthearted kind of stuff that just doesn't feel like the the movie to me so 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 while i i mean i appreciate the work that went into it it it's not my my biggest thing um i have a i have a do, do you remember a couple of years ago there's a c like in 2000 there was like a cd that came out but there, there there's obviously a bunch of other versions of this film with different scores to it i actually believe typo negative did did a they soundtrack to it at one point didn't absolutely. they the band yeah the goth band yep. um next time i watch this i might actually try to figure out a thing and you know play that as an mp3 while i'm watching it or something because that was that was my one one of my only issues with with this this version but that's it's fine yeah, there no, are very I, good musical moments in this that's for sure yeah so yeah i mean i guess i should i should clarify that so when i'm i'm talking the score I, and i absolutely see if, if you're watching this this film scene for scene listen to the score it is a little distracting I'm just talking, just the re, the re, if you close your eyes and listen to the score, it's oh, yeah. beautiful. Oh, it, it is, sounds like it was recorded yesterday. That's what no, I, for sure. that's exactly what I'm talking. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds amazing. Remastered. And, um, I was going to have a geek moment for a minute, but I'm probably going to get it wrong, yeah. but it sounds, it sounds really, really nice. So well, close it, your eyes, it, listen to it. Yeah. Keep in mind when, when you would have originally seen this film in 22, if you had been lucky enough to, to, to see it, um, that score would have been performed by somebody in the actual theater hall you're watching. You know, that it, it, it's only later on that, that this, uh, orchestration would have been synced to to the thing and and watched probably when it was re released I would imagine during the sound era but anyway um, but yeah that might so, be from the thirty nine print yeah and one thing I, I do have to say I really really love about this film is the is the scenery I mean, this one's filmed in Germany and um, mm-hmm. in Wismar Germany. And man, so so un- I'm not going to compare the two films. I mean, Dracula specifically, just like the castle scenes of Dracula 31, might be my all time favorite scenes. But yes. as you know, part of the you know the knock against this film that we said during our podcast is once you leave Transylvania, it gets a little static. I mean, they're, they're clearly on stages and blah blah blah. This film is not that. This is a really really nice film, filmed all throughout Winsmar, Germany, which is a town in uh, northeastern Germany, and mm-hmm. it is beautiful, man. I mean, you talk about a hundred years old, really really nice filmmaking. I mean, this is probably the first time I've seen this film, not a lot, but you know maybe five or six times I'd say in my life. But my first time sitting down with the analytical glasses, knowing yes. I had to do a podcast episode. And I absolutely appreciated just the filmmaking alone. They did oh, just a fantastic job. 
Oh, which is these real life uh, uh, things. These are amazing. The we're skipping ahead towards the end. The the property he actually buys, not not to you know purchases from when went from Hutter. Um, the deal that he's you know in the in, in these big open scary windows. It's this huge facade with all these old windows. Um, and Nosferatu is kind of it's famous. The famous shot where he's kind of in the broken open window, staring right. at her across from across the street like a peeping tom. Uh, <laughs> it's an old. It's a. It, they were those were um, salt storage buildings from like the fifteen hundreds or something. So. You know, again, I get into this thing where, and I've I've wrongly attributed in the past some of the Hammer movies. Um, someone has called me out on this, and I, and I appreciate being called out when I'm wrong. That I've been I've been guilty of saying that they just used a lot of real locations in the Hammer films that are in England, and they do do those for exteriors, but they the interiors are soundstage productions yes. on Hammer films. So I want to correct that. Um, this, however. This this predates this idea of, of filming in a lot of studio stuff like that. So this is all real locations. They found, you know, they went to Slovakia to film a lot of the stuff for the um the uh, for Orlok's castle. Kat Hearns actually just posted a photo on her Instagram, uh, one of our big followers of uh, she shared a photo of like the real gate in that that castle. It's still there, like in, you know, in a recent photo that that Nosferatu uh, that, that Hunter comes into the castle and Nosferatu greets him and stuff. So these some of these locations are still there, which is interesting. I think some of them might have been lost during World War II, but um, some are still there. Again, I mean, if you feel claustrophobic watching Dracula, and I'm, you know, I I do feel that way sometimes. Ch- watch this. I mean, I can't, it can't compare the two films. You know, just it's silly, but if you just for for scenery, for just for for action, for I mean, just it must have been you know a, a treat to edit this because there's so much going on. Like really, yeah. just the the different like scene in the backgrounds. Um, as a director, again going back a hundred years, man, I see why people you know in the profession why filmmakers like you and professors they use this film as like a template for teaching mm-hmm. filmmaking. I mean, I as a layman, I I I get that, man. Well, this this I mean, and I'll depart for just a second. This 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 film and Cabinet Caligari as well. Um, yeah. Our, our big touchstones for me my first film is it's called prometheus triumph and i made in it came out in like 2008 or 9 and we filmed in like eight 1800s era lunatic asylums in in or eight 1800s a, a lunatic asylum built in 1888 in outside of pittsburgh that is no longer there was was our location for most of it so so i took a page from this book and, and really went to the place you know which is dangerous and full of asbestos <laughs> all the other fun stuff but yeah this this was i wanted to make this and, and it's funny watching this i'm, I'm looking at like oh i stole that shot for prometheus oh i stole that shot oh i stole that shot where the guy's walking drawing the crosses on the walls when you know during the plague and stuff it's like i i totally rep like i i unabashedly stole from this movie this the way it stole from well now far stoker let's say far stoker is going to want to burn all of your films <laughs> She's welcome to it. Uh, <laughs> she won't make any money off of him at this point. Uh, trust me. But but yeah, no, but I mean, so so just to get out of the way, like you can't overestimate the import of this film no. in horror filmmaking, in, in world cinema. Um, and I can't, I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I do if it hadn't been for this this film coming out. This was a big deal for me too. And it it really influenced my aesthetic and moving forward in my in my film career and my art career too. I mean everything. I mean, this, um, is a, this is a fairly long film. I mean, for the time, it's yeah. over. You know, I'd say it's not maybe not quite an hour and a half. No. But Count Orlock, yeah. who is you know at this point, hopefully you know who Count Orlock is. Though he's the you know the, the vampire. He's an Osratu. He's not in the film that often or that much. But man, when he is, it's basically every iconic scene that you know. And you know, we can jump around a little bit, but like yeah. the scene when he's you know finally on the boat, right. coming from basically coming to meet um, you know the Hutters. And man, I feel like every clip or every you know shot of him on that boat is like that iconic shot that you oh, see. Oh, like him, him standing there in front of the mast. 
you know, exactly. he's in front of the mask, the, coffin. the shadows coming up, yeah. like the shadow of the hand coming up the stairs mm-hmm. of him rising. From and now, the coffin. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. It, no, it, again, like you can't, you can't overestimate it. It's the influence this thing. I mean, yeah, it, it's, and, and just the, the signature look of, I mean, if, if there are two, if when I think of a vampire, if I, when I think of Dracula or when I think whatever, if, if there's two images that pop into my mind, it's, it's Bella Lugosi in 1931 and it's Max Schreck in the Orlock makeup. This, it's funny that you know dracula the apart from the vampire myth the 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 dracula character is this you know darkly romantic seductive version of a vampire traditional like slavic vampire legend doesn't paint as 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 handsome a a picture of of what the the undead that you know the vampire looks like demonic Um, this this is a much more to you know, to the point, accurate uh, depiction of of a vampire this this bald, rat like you know mm-hmm. kind of kind of vermin creature, and we yeah. can, we'll get into that a little bit more in a bit. Some of the assumptions and in, in, intuitions of, of that, but but yeah, no, it's it's he's he's you know Shrek is amazing, and you look at a picture of Max Shrek, and like he he did look he looked kind of like this character, but the makeup and the the wardrobe and everything really formed this you know he's, again i always talk about the silhouette like you you see the silhouette of nosferatu with the the, the ex- insanely long claws on his hands That's right yeah. and the, the baldness and the pointed the really you know stark pointed nose and the two the two fangs in the front and um like you instantly know what that is like it, it's a signature look and i don't even you know we i don't know much about the makeup of it and how they did it and who did it, what the design was. I have a feeling Alvin Grau had an influence on it. And I think Murnau did as well, <clears throat> but it's, there's nothing like it. And you know, we've, we've, they've tried to replicate it now, you know, um, most famously, I think Salem's lot, the, yep. the vampire is, yep. is very much a Nosferatu uh, type vampire. And in 100%. the, yep. in the popular uh, vampire, the masquerade role-playing game, you know, there were different like, like breeds of vampires. And there is like, there's a Nosferatu breed of a vampire that's based on, on, on this character. So, yeah. So again, I know, talk about like, Shadow Man. Yeah. I mean, Nosferatu. Yeah. You're right. It's almost like a, like a class of vampire. Like you're a Nosferatu. Yeah. And if you're like a Dracula, you're more of like the, you know, the, the count, you know, the handsome, you know, debonair vampire yes. type. But yeah. yeah. I mean, again, you think like a hundred years later, this is some scary makeup. Like you said, he is this rodent like de- demonic. Horrifying. Here's yes. the eyes. The long fingers, those nails. He yeah. is—he's a scary-looking dude. I mean, to yeah. this day, from uh, you know, looking at the lenses of you know, 2022, yeah. man, they hit something pretty. It, right. it chilled me a little bit when I first yeah. was watching. So I'm like, you know, pausing it to take notes. And man, some of the, the scenes that I paused, I'm looking at, I'm like, holy shit, that's like that—that that gave me chills. It really it, did. Like, no, for sure. This—this—this this, this is what argues for me about, and I'll go back to makeup is all about. I think what the the base you you build it on, right? And Shrek just had the just the right features that you could build. It's like it's like building the Frankenstein monster on top That's of Carloff right. or something off. like that. He had just the right, and you know, if he'd been thirty years older, it probably wouldn't work because he would have been. You know, you can see photos of Max Shrek when he's older, and he turns into you know, it's more heavy set and you know, in his face and stuff. And it's why you know when Klaus Kinski does it in the Werner Herzog film, I think he does a great version. But Klaus Kinski is not built as narrow as Shrek. Nor is Willem Dafoe in the, and I like Shadow of the Vampire, which is guys, it's a, it's, if you haven't seen Shadow of the Vampire, it's a 2000 something era movie about the making of Nosferatu. And, and the gag is that the, that, that Max Shrek is actually a, a real vampire in the film that Marnell is hired to do. Anyway, I think Dafoe does a great version of him. But Defoe's physical structure is also stockier and stuff. And he doesn't, it just doesn't work for me as much. He, he looks like a, a rounded version of, of, uh, of Nosferatu. I just, like, I just think Shrek's perfect. That's like Cagney trying to play like, 
you know, chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, no, exactly. And it just doesn't have the right structure and stuff like that. Right. I, I agree. Yeah. Because yeah. um, when you're building makeup, you know, you you build out from the face. So that's why it, that's why Guillermo del Toro uses Doug Jones all the time because Doug Jones is like a mannequin. He's so narrow that you can build on top of him, even you know, on his arms and legs and sleeves and stuff. And you can you can add thickness to him. And then he, but he still doesn't appear bulky. It's why he looks so good as Ape Sapien. And I've heard that Doug Jones at one point was attached to play Nosferatu in a, in a remake that's coming out. But but now now I think that remake is being done by the guy who did The Witch and The Lighthouse. That would so be fun. Doug Jones I, still, I don't know if Doug Jones is still attached to it or not. I, well, I love those two movies. I'd love to see Del Toro's take on mm-hmm. Nosferatu, man. That'd be, that'd be a trip. This film, now I, one thing I will say is that you know, within within the book Dracula, and and especially in the in the um in the the thirty one version with with Lugosi, we get to Transylvania pretty quick. The book starts with him. You know, it, I mean, we sort of have a little bit of a flashback type thing where Harker's describing being assigned to 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 go to Transylvania. This this story in in Nosferatu, like we have a good twenty minutes before Hutter even gets to to Orlok's castle. There's a whole lot of stuff with him and his wife and trying to leave and stuff. And you could say it gets a little like, okay, like can we get to the family? Yeah. Yeah. His wife, yeah, she's very, very, very upset that, you know, he's leaving. And yeah. you know, we get some pretty cool scenes with with Nock, who, you know, okay. right off the bat is just a he's a creep man. I mean, what I love him. I, I mean we can't talk talk about Dwight Fry enough. I mean, no, 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 no. This but, guy was yeah. pretty he's played by Alexander Greenwich, I think it is. Yeah. But man, oh man, what a what a character. He it's is. a great performance. So, so in this version, Nock is he's sort of the Nock is the Renfield yes. now. So, yes. so, so it's like instead of being a guy who was previously sent to Transylvania in, ahead of Harker, Nock is Hutter's boss. Who are Hutter's our Harker, and he somehow he's he's gotten a message from from Count Orlock. And he's the one he's gonna he's gonna send Hutter there to negotiate this this sale of this property in in Wisborg. The 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 paper he's gone, I, I think I'm pretty sure Alvin Alvin Grau actually created the signs that are on the paper. So he gets this paper that's kind of like a code, right? From it's written in like an occult language. Um, yeah, the symbology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, a lot and, of go- no, gobbledygook that like only not can read. Yes, no, exactly. But but apparently a lot of that is real stuff that, that real occultist symbology that that Alvin Grau was very much uh, uh, um, caught. You know, a, a big it was a big deal for him. Sure. Um, you know, like so, I mean, so so uh, Gustav von Wagenheim. L- l- we can talk about him for a second. Like, who plays Hutter? He's our Harker. I mean, there's a lot of big acting in silent <laughs> films, right? Like really. We don't call it overacting, but it was very theatrical. There's that, and then there's whatever Gustav and Wagenheim does in this. He he's he seems like a maniac. He runs everywhere. He 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 he's like he's like a five year old kid who who's like in the body of a man. He has no self control. He throws things and laughs like a maniac. He he already seems like he's out of control. I was gonna say he's like he should be like Renfield. I mean, I think maybe, yeah. he, maybe he was miscast. Like, yeah. Exactly. The, the, first, like, the first thing he's running down the road and this whole guy's like, slow down, buddy. Right. He's got like this maniacal, like almost like Joker smile. On oh, yeah, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I mean, um, the, a, lot, a lot of the film is very theatrical, obviously, and it's very big and stuff like that. But man, is he big. We'll just we'll call it overacting. Let's just... Yeah. But knock over like outacts him. He knock is out of control. Crazy. Like like you can imagine having to work for this. guy. Yeah. <laughs> just he those eyes, man. You cannot. Yeah. You look at like Island of Lost Souls. Like it just like. Yeah. Just what people, actors and actresses, can convey through the eyes. 
Yes. And that's all he's doing, just sitting in his chair, reading like this gobbledygook thing from yeah. Orlock, and just like that little twinkle. Oh man, it's yeah. great. Yeah, I know. Um, so Hunter's very excited that he's gonna, you know, get get sent to whatever, and he 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 doesn't understand why his wife is 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 nervous about him. But the first thing he comes in, he says, "I must travel far, far away to the land of thieves and phantoms." <laughs> why why, why that. are you worried? Um, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, Greta Schroeder plays uh, Ellen, who's who's Armina. I don't want to, Scott. You and I were kind of going back and forth about Greta Schroeder, before, mm-hmm. like, like, like. I guess you know, seeing this now restored in in, in HD and stuff. Um, I mean, I want to assume that Greta Schroeder really was a woman. <laughs> But but she's got uh she's she's first of all she's very tall she's got a very strong jaw and mm-hmm. I mean her hands are big like I don't know if maybe Greta Schroeder um wasn't completely cis or or something I I don't know or if it's the photography yeah. and makeup she comes off very masculine it's it's a it's a she's she's got a very interesting look I, I mean I think she's very lovely in in her style of way but but um it's, she looks like I mean she she looks like she could probably be on the wrestling Olympic team or something you know? it's a little distracting man and yeah I did I did a little research on it just to you know find out if she had children or I mean, yeah. like she was married a couple of times I don't believe she had kids but yeah I'm with you it's you know I don't want to kind of hitting a, a sensitive topic here but I'm with you yeah you kind of you're giving her kind of once over like hmm she seems possibly not completely binary perhaps but but maybe that's just her look man um no she was she was very um the point of knock here that we're talking about is is the idea that like this this isn't how do i say this this isn't like a a a company that's ignorantly sending its its you know employees into a danger not understanding what's going on knock knows nosferatu is a van you know counter lux a vampire he's he's setting hutter up he's sending hutter into danger and he's orchestrating helping orchestrate this plan he he's actually like a willing participant there there's a there's a uh, intertitle later on where it talks about like you know the people find a scapegoat and the scapegoat is knock like not really not really a scapegoat he's actually guilty of doing yeah it. oh this he brought the play to to Wisborg. yeah and this is what made, made me wonder and, and and i just don't know if i missed or not but obviously dracula 31 renfield is quote-unquote just a normal guy goes over it becomes cursed right with dracula's blood and to me, just you know, going back and look at this, Nock is already cursed. Like he's yes. already under some kind of influence of Orlock, whether it's a spell, whether it's whatever it is. Yeah, I wonder what it's supposed to be because because he does start eating. They do they do put him in a in a asylum and he starts eating flies and stuff. So he obviously has that what uh, what Doctor Stewart calls zoophagy in 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 the book. Um, he has this kind of particular animal type mania, but has has he been to 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 Orlocks and been bitten? And and is he like a partial vampire now or something? Is that what we're supposed to think? I don't know. It's it could be. I mean, you look at like the ninety two Dracula in the Renfield character. That's exactly what happened to him. He went to Dracula's castle, came back, yes. went mad, and then they sent Hawker. So oh, the it went the Tom Waits version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. yes. So maybe I'm a sane man like, fighting for his soul. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a great. So maybe so maybe Hutter is like now the second person, but I know. Later on in the film, Orlock has kind of a, he kind of starts getting a mind control over yes. Ellen Hutter at some That's point. That's true. So this has maybe already happened. Like Orlock this, has his grip from he, he can he has some psychic power over yeah. a distance to influence people yeah. Yeah. in some way. No, it's true. Yeah, yeah. He does at some point it, it, it becomes he forms this psychic bond with, uh, with Ellen, which is kind of true to the thing. We're talking about locations, and one of the the things I gotta say, like like when after Hutter leaves. Wisborg and he's traveling through the mountains and stuff. You know, they they went and they filmed in Slovakia, which is east of Germany. It was I'm not sure if it was its own country at the time or or not. But you get some of these vistas with these mountains and giant pine trees and stuff that really looks, you know, it it doesn't look like they filmed it on the hill behind the Hollywood sign here in in LA. It really looks like Europe. It's really it's really cool looking. 
When this is, yeah, again, you look at you know, like the Universal and even Hammer, who uses a lot of um, like the painting drops, for, like a lot of their scenes. This mm. is all legitimate. It's not like a lame insane. It's real backdrops. I mean, they are, this is on location and it yeah. is, it's beautiful, man. It's the three dimensional, not claustrophobic, really nice scenery. Yeah. It might not be the Carpathian Mountains, but it's, it's kind of close. So, so, uh, you know, as a, as a podcast called Borgo Pass, I mean, where they're filming is not a hell of a, I mean, it's maybe a, a thousand or 500 miles away from Borgo Pass, but it's in that same <laughs> geographical climate, at least. So, you know, the trees are the same as they would be the everything else. It, it looks, it looks totally legit. It's great. It, yeah, it looks I mean, like someplace you would not want to get lost in travel and stuff. You know? well, it's like exactly what Universal was trying to do when they started, you know, creating their yeah. horror films. Like this is, these yeah. are the villages that they were trying to make on the Universal backlot. Yeah. But, but it doesn't it. have, it's it's like they don't have to make it they don't have to make the trees twisted and they don't have to add fog and make it spooky it, it's spooky in this other way right. like this old forest kind of kind of way and i think it's it's not not as influenced by you know like you get into black cat where they're traveling on the train and they're going through this it just looks like hell it just looks like it looks like they're traveling through a world war one battlefield right. this doesn't have quite that for for being known as, as such a stylized film, this doesn't have that much stylization. It's just it's it's just straight up. But um, but he gets to he gets to the end that we we know so well from Dracula with with Renfield in thirty one, and the thing that cracks me up is he goes and he gets a drink and he gets food and he's like I'm going to castle you know Count Orlok's castle, but the the innkeep did you notice Scott is he's not the same guy as is the thirty one version or the or the the Mark of the Vampire version, but he also he has that giant mustache. It's exactly, like, you can't even see him. I mean, he looked like he almost looked like a werewolf. Like how does he eat soup i don't know man (laughs) i I did notice that i was i'm looking at i'm like man man how does yeah he does he looks like um like return of the vampire what's yeah no if you are in furry face if you are the keeper of an inn near the vampire's castle in one of these stories (laughs) you are required to have a gigantic freaking mustache that is just and and one of the don't even come to the casting call and, and of course, the Dracula trope is the villagers are all yes. very nervous. They know something is up. They know, mm-hmm. you know, Orlock is, and they're doing their best to, they, it's funny, like they kind of ride this fine line. Like they, I guess they're, they're fearful if they just come out and said, hey, so-and-so Dracula's a vampire or Orlock's a vampire, he's going to kill you. Right. That, no, they would then become, you know, the wrath of, you know, revenge <laughs> would now fall on them. So they're trying to ride this like line of like giving like little, like little subtle hints, but yeah. not so much. Yeah. Um, so the innkeeper's the one who's like, maybe, maybe you want to not, you know, whatever. But he he talks about it. There's a bit here where they talk about a werewolf, which I don't remember from other versions of the film I've seen. Do you, Scott? No. I I mean, again, you'd have to fast forward to me like Return of the Vampire, where we have anything. But yeah, we get a werewolf that in reality is like a. Thing I think or, it's a hyena. I think hyena. I think they they brought in. Yeah, it looks like a hyena, <laughs> and they film him in different settings. So I don't know if they went to a zoo or some sort of preserve and filmed him, and then whatever. I remember the shots of the hyena, and yeah. I remember there was a title card like the night is 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 dark and there's wolves a prowl or something like that. This is the first version I remember that they actually referenced it as a werewolf. Which is, if we stop for just a second, is this is this the first cinematic depiction of a werewolf? Then I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's Twenty two. What what what's before this? I have no idea. But anyway, mm, it's just a little hyena dog wandering around scaring the horses certainly not a werewolf yeah yeah so so harker's or harker hutter is sent to to his he goes to his room for the night before he sets out in the morning for for castle orlock and there's a there's a book (laughs) conveniently in his in his uh in his room called the book of vampires and this is another one that's like this, this this uh the description of this is much more elaborate in this in this kino lorber uh, uh, release of the film than, oh yeah and other ones i remember like other ones referencing it but this goes into detail about you know orlock's origins and stuff and yeah this must have yeah. been one of the salvaged prints I, I don't remember this from 
the you know the odd sale print that I had thirty years ago. Nor um, do I. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty brief. But this good, this references uh, Nosferatu as a plague creature who sleeps in the earth from the Black Death. He's an offspring of Belial, who who Belial's a Judo Judeo Christian demon. Um, Alistair Crowley would have would have, uh, wrote stuff about Belial, which in the in the teen in the nineteen teens, which which Alvin Grout obviously probably would have would have read so this is Albin Grout, and i think all this stuff is Albin's influence on the film this this uh necromancy type stuff uh, mm-hmm. uh that, that that he imbues the thing um but but in doing that we kind of from the seed of belial sprang the vampire nosferatu we we get what we really don't even get in most other iterations of dracula uh until you know later into the 80s 90s 2000s is a kind of an origin story that that he's that he's sort of this a son of a demon right or he's like the offspring of a demon which is really interesting no but i mean one thing i i do like it's like you it's you're almost better off not knowing some things right they, they leave well, it ambiguous so you can kind of create the whole backstory and that's that's, that's something i kind of liked with dracula like you don't want too much information because it kind of ruins yeah no i agree you know, ruins a mystique but um, this is me too this, it, it, I was gonna say, but not not that this film did, because it doesn't go into the nuts and bolts of who this creature is. But it is fun to have to be, leave your monsters a little ambiguous. I agree, and this does that. This this get you get this vague idea. Like, is is Nosferatu was was he not bit by a vampire? Was he somehow otherwise created by something? You know, is. Is is he not the last of a of a line of vampires? Is he like the beginning of something else or something like that? It's yeah. very interesting. No, yeah. I, I love the I love the idea. I love like you said, just just a hint. Yeah, and let your imagination run, and that's way more scary than anything that you know they're going to tell you. But yeah, he yeah. just feel he was like this like spawn, almost like a seed planted in like you know wretched ground, and he just you know out popped this Nosferatu yes, demon no, creature. No, exactly. He's you know? this other thing, I, and I love the idea, and I I think it'd be neat to. I'm sure people have explored that idea too. But right here we have the famous scene where again we're talking about Gustav and Wagenheim's overacting and he he reads from the book of the vampires and he's like ha and he literally hurls it to the ground like a maniac and have you seen the have you seen the the funny it's like a little video meme of the creators of Nosferatu reading the international copyright law and they throw it on the floor oh, and it's no. him throwing oh. it on the floor he makes that kind of love it ha, ha, international copyright this is the same vampire thing where obviously Hunter's not going to pay attention to uh to to the superstitions of these these strange peasants and over one and again I, we don't want to get too bogged in the story guys because you guys know the story but the the one big difference for me here is that the, the Stoker book and then the obviously the thirty one Lugosi version that we've talked about before on the podcast the, there's there's a certain understood bias of of this English or Scottish I should say uh, writer writing about stuff that takes place in Eastern Europe it's it's it there's a little bit of a of a cultural jingoism thing mm-hmm. that's, that's intent in in or that that's latent I should say in in the book that historians have noted there's kind of a bias here we're talking about you know the difference is just not as big because because you know it's as opposed to like four thousand mile difference between Great Britain and and Transylvania. Here we're kind of like he's going like one country over. It's like it's like a thousand miles or something like that. The the cultural difference between where Hutter lives and where Nosferatu lives is not that vastly different. It's he's he's, so he's just going like kind of to the next thing over. It's, it feels that way. Yeah, I mean Orlock. I think you know later on in the film he basically goes and visits. If I'm remembering correctly, visits Ellen, and then he's back in his coffin within hours. So it's almost like taking a train across. You know, across the town, say whatever, whatever fifty miles, hundred miles. Well, well, we'll get into that because because for some reason, Orlock instead of instead of traveling like a thousand miles over land, for some reason, Orlock sails from from Varna, <laughs> which is in the Black Sea, through Istanbul, down through the Mediterranean, around 
the Gibraltar and up and over because he sails to Germany and Germany's only port is in the north. It, Germany doesn't have a port on the Mediterranean. Italy's in the way, right? So for some reason, instead of traveling, right? Like it seems like it would take him like a couple days to, to travel by, by horse-drawn wagon or something like that to, to Wisborg at the end. He sails in... I mean, in real life, it would have taken him like a month. I don't know. So, you know, we, we need one of those Indiana Jones, like dotted line. Start yeah, no, from exactly. point A I can, we, and you know, do, dot, we'll dot, 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 dot. I want to see Nostradamus. You'll see a gigantic circle where Nostradamus <laughs> sails. For absolutely like, no reason. Yeah. goes on this ridiculous sea journey, but obviously that's in keeping with the book. And, and I'm glad he does that because some of those scenes on the boat are some of my favorite scenes in the movie. So I'm glad hey, as, if I can steal a line from Bilbo Baggins. We're going on an adventure. We're going on an adventure. This guy has not left his castle in who knows how long. He's been, he's out on sea. He's having a he's good time. He's going on a sailing trip. Maybe yeah. my, my, and my argument in that, if, if, if this was my film and someone challenged me on why does he take the boat, I would say it's, he somehow has figured out he's safer on the boat because he won't get exposed to daylight. Somehow riding in the carriage would have been dangerous for him. That's, and that makes total sense. So I, uh, I guess I had a little, I had a little giddy moment here. So again, much like Dracula. So I, I want to call him Renfield, but Hutter, who's trying to get to Orlock's castle, of course, um, another trope with you know the Dracula films is that the local villages, the local carriage folk, will not take him to the castle. They'll right. take him, you know, eight tenths of the way there, and then they drop him off. So I get a little giddy seeing like the German Borgo Pass, you yes. know, because yes. you know so I'm like, what would they? Uh, what's like? I I almost did this, and I just I just ran out of time. But I almost want to Google or do a Google search of like, how do you say Borgo Pass in German? Because that's exactly oh, right. where this guy get dropped off. Yeah, yeah, no, you know exactly, and it's. You know, you can, it's high elevation. It's really like, like, I, I wouldn't want to be left by a carriage. I mean, again, it doesn't look haunted or anything like that, but I wouldn't want to be left on foot in the middle of this, this area. This seems like a pretty remote, you know, there's, it, they talk about, it's like the land of phantoms and stuff in the, in the, in the book. And we have some special effects stuff in, in a bit that, that we get into that with it. But, um, but yeah, but I love the idea of like, you know, you hire these, is, is this like a middle class, uh, like, like a, like a 1% problem? Like you hire these guys to take you someplace and then take you like 80% of the way there and then they change their mind. Right. Like, just chuck your luggage off. And, I yeah. thought we had a contract here, guys, what's going on? But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah no, they, no, the, the, uh, the, the carriage guys leave them and he, and of course, Hunter's like, oh, whatever. And he just throws everything up and he, he's going to march over to things. So he's left to walk the last little bit. Um, there's a bridge that the guys won't cross. Right. And then he's like, I'll, I'll cross that bridge. And he goes, so he goes into the land of phantoms. So, but this is good storytelling. This, this is what sets up like the hero, like he has every chance to turn back and he decides not to. So he, you know, and, and Hutter's nominally, I guess, our hero in this. And Hunter's like, even though you know, he's he just gets dropped off from this carriage. He should be frightened or pissed or what. And he's like this big smile, and he's like, oh, he's almost skipping across this bridge, like into into Never Neverland. Like, um, well, that's what I was talking about. about, Like, you know, you could you could you kind of see Harker or, or Renfield ignoring the local indigenous people's you know superstitions because he sees them as like this other type of person sure but but, but these guys they're not that much of a they are more slovakian than germanic i guess so they're still like this kind of thing but he's like ah ha, ha, whatever but now, <laughs> yeah. just, like, now he's without a carriage and i don't i know in other dracula films there's an understanding that the local carriage folk are gonna are gonna bring you to a crossroad leave you and then dracula and then dracula's gonna pick you up yeah that's exactly. right so this, i don't this think that's just quite think get that, there no, I don't think that I don't think the film is there. Like he to me, like he just gets dropped off and he has no idea how he's gonna complete his voyage to Orlock's castle. But right. yeah, he's smiling, he's skipping, he's in this like yeah, this the land of the phantoms, and he couldn't be happier. He's, he's like he's on he's another one, he's on adventure. He's he's clueless, man. He's just like <laughs> Hutter in this movie is like 
Look, David Manners in Hutter in this movie makes uh, Harker in the 31 Dracula seem proactive. That That's all I'll say. There you go. He He's useless in this movie. He <laughs> he right at the end when when Nosferatu is after his girl, he goes and tries to find our version of Van Helsing and he doesn't even get back in time. He's like, right. oh, we're too late. Oh, Sorry. He's useless. Hunter. It's, it's distracting how how useless he is. He, it really he, like it's, he, it's, he climbs it's out so the window of Orlock's castle and falls down and passes out and they have right? to find him. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. even like he doesn't even do the Harker thing where he kind of makes his way to the monastery or whatever. Remember he gets right. to the nunnery or something in the yes. book and in and in the later versions. All right, we're finally to your, here to a point where the, a carriage shows up and picks Hutter up, and the carriage driver's obviously is Nosferatu, um, but he's got he's got this little like. Robin Hood looking hat on and stuff. Um, the they do some neat stuff here. Um, it gets very uh, uh, kind of what would have been experimental at the time. I think they ran the camera where they only shot like one one or two frames a second, so it makes it look like the carriage is moving super fast. And then they do some some um, they uh, they reverse photography. They shoot like a negative version, so everything that's light is dark, and what's dark is light. So and so it, it gives it a really neat effect, right? I mean, it, I remember even being young looking at this, going like, "Well, that's kind of cool." Like, I, I I know how they did it, but it's still neat. So one thing I want to ask you about Jim is the filmmaking that I'd, I'd read about this. That actually it is. It looks it's you know very stop motion, but the fact that they restored this and made it digital, whatever, yeah. actually makes it look worse. <laughs> is it just because of the just because of the clarity? Or I didn't get that. I thought I had. I felt like it had something to do with the. The, the speed of i don't i'm again yeah I'm no say. no i know I, I get what you're saying um well i mean you know th- this was all done in camera so it's not an after effect so it's it's uh as we say now it's baked into the the film right you yeah. can't change it uh it's not like an effect you layer on top of what you've already shot on a, on a clean format yeah you know i i think i think what you're seeing is just it's just a restored version in hd where there's a lot more clarity and you see more detail and and sometimes the detail gives away some 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 stuff that you know the the softness of lower resolution viewing mm-hmm. you know didn't plus you i mean the other thing we got to admit is like like we're watching this on like you know flat screen hd tvs now and not the old tube top trinitons and and everything sure. that, you know we had in, in in the 90s and stuff when i was first watching this so so yeah you're seeing a lot more having said that you know what really stands up in hd is is max shrek's makeup i just got to say like we're just about to see him this you know there's a close-up of him when he gets to wisborg at the side and he's looking at the houses and stuff and it looks i don't see a seam on it it's it's flawless i don't even know like i don't know what materials they used i don't know what they had access to in germany i don't know what they were doing like i obviously they got some very talented people or person to do this and and you know this isn't just one day of makeup they had to do this to shrek i don't know how many days of shooting this this film had but they had to do it multiple times and and the makeup is almost always really consistent you know and we've been crapping on thomas hutter a little bit but i you know i know it's the same thing i mean obviously he's not in you know monster garb but even early on in the film when he's first you know letting his wife or making his wife Mm -hmm. aware that he's he's leaving and this is some close-up shots of him and the film quality on this blu-ray is so tight yeah it took me out it almost looks like a film you know, a movie filmed in 2022 and they're trying to make it look like it was filmed in, in well, one, one thing I think you're seeing is, do you know what I'm saying? And, and yeah, like, no, 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 exactly. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I want to say, I don't want to get bogged down into it. I, I feel like we've been doing a lot of technical stuff, but, but we do have to say like this film is, it's a technical masterpiece and it is a prototype in how you make a horror movie. Really. I mean, we didn't have a lot of feature length horror movies before this. This is before the 25, you know, Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera. This is, this is, this is a, a beginning moment and, and, and the technical thing is kind of important. I believe this would have been shot on, on full nitrate film and not cellulose at the time. So when you, when you got with nitrate, 
uh, film, and I'm, I might be using the terms not totally correctly, guys, but it was a silver nitrate thing, and it was a, and, and and it was the the format it was shot on had a lot of very fine detail. When you, but the problem was it was it's explosive. It's not even just flammable. What's explosive? We, as you've seen in um, Inglorious Bastards, right? Yeah, yeah the, it's like the, the, yeah, this, yeah, it's this film, the, yeah, it's very combust. Like. It could it could burst into flame without even a match. Sometimes it, it was very it was stored under the wrong conditions, so it was very dangerous. And in the 30s, I think they started moving into uh, uh, other type, more cellulose based uh, uh, negative format. But what you've got here is like it's just it it's pristine. And and the other thing they're doing is this is silent film, so they're hand cranking it, right? So there's a guy there you've seen all the old movies where the guys like you know with the little handle, it's like zing 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 zing. And what's required when you record that way is for it to be projected at the correct speed that matches the speed it was film it was it was cranked at because uh, it's not mechanical and that's where you get like keystone cop type stuff right where everyone's moving really fast and 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 whatnot scott in doing in doing this transfer they they got that pretty close so in a lot of these scenes people are moving in a very naturalistic speed as opposed to what we associate with silent movie moving you, you know peter jackson just did this with a lot of world war one footage uh for his uh his his uh, documentary he just did and and it's eerie seeing and i think we're seeing this i'm, I'm seeing a lot of this online where people just take old films and they, there's ai now that that, that matches the frame and stuff like this like you're saying scott just to conclude like it looks like it was filmed yesterday it's amazing it really does again it's it looks like yeah. a 2022 film trying mm-hmm. to look like 19 1922 mm-hmm. or something it's, yeah. it's really really nice so kudos to they uh, didn't over make up Hutter either so he looks kind of natural sometimes in silent films because of the exposure stuff they, they did a lot of like gothy looking makeup with darker eyes and lips and stuff even on men and they don't do it on him and he he does he looks like he could have been except for the acting style he looks like he's <laughs> besides that yeah so um, it's it's funny so in this film here we actually truly have the end of act one and then you know so the end yes. of act one is basically Hutter entering Orlock's castle and act two basically opens up immediately in the having dinner so yes. as everyone knows in you know Dracula 31 or whatever with the Renfield and Dracula kind of you know converse around the dinner table and they start talking about their the plans with the, with the real estate transaction mm-hmm. and very very similar with this movie here Orlock is sitting there with like a scally cap on doesn't look quite full demonic yet so there's definitely a, there's a there's a payout a little bit later on but yeah, they're basically just kind of, you know, chit-chatting around the dinner table about um, what's going on. And we learn that Orlock is purchasing a property, like, literally right across the street from the Hutters. Yes. Um, <laughs> and and, and he, she is his wife at this point, um, by the way. Like, in you know, in uh, in Dracula and in a lot of these older films, the... Mina and or or whomever the lead actress is 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 a is they're engaged they're proposed for some reason we've talked about this Scott like there was this idea of like never having the character be married just having them right like virginal looking forward to a wedding yes exactly yeah, yeah keep the actress keep the lead actor actress uh, virgil virginal yeah. um in this they're full on married so yeah so he he's been sent to Transylvania to hire to to sell a property to this guy and it it's it turns out it's across the street from him and and Narc has even set that up and the creep more creeped out he gets to this guy the more he's like this guy isn't just coming to his country this guy's coming to live like across the street yeah yeah, yeah. his neighbor right <laughs> like, exactly crap. Yeah. they're gonna be like yeah the, the, the newspaper guys it's gonna be on like the same route and the milkman's gonna mm-hmm. deliver in. yeah i mean they're truly neighbors here and um yeah i guess it's one of those one of the words like oh, i think what what film, it wasn't a dragon the phone but anyway orlock ends up seeing a, a photo of of alan and it's just that great little you know and we have the, the clip of um the quote your wife has a lovely neck. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, yes. No, and then it's a great, <laughs> that always cracks me up. I love that. It's it's, it's um it's the equivalent of the uh, I never drink wine. I like the ideas of 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 uh that 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 the vampire actually still has a sense of humor a little bit. Like 
he he's it he likes being in on the joke and and no one else is it is i know just like he's just so all powerful that he doesn't even care who's pissing off or you know just like yeah your wife has a lovely neck and hunter's just like he pulls his best david or um david manners and just like, <laughs> yeah right oh geez thanks yeah okay. he somehow doesn't doesn't get it not far keeps or orlock i should say keeps hutter awake long enough that he falls asleep and when he wakes up the next day he realizes he's something's bit him in the neck and he, of course he's like, oh whatever no he just he still he yawns like a crazy person too i mean the performance is awesome right um but he notices that that something's bit him and he you know in in the next day now there's a difference from between this and uh dracula as well where hutter has sort of the the free roam of the castle. He can go outside in the courtyard and stuff. The castle is still kind of, I guess, locked up and remote, but he he's not just like confined to his rooms the way he is in the book and in, in the 31 version. So Hutter's just wandering around and he writes uh, Ellen a letter saying like, don't worry about me. I'm doing good, except I got bit by this weird... It's like a mosquito. Like, mosquito, yeah. He calls it a mosquito. Weird mosquito. Um, yeah, and, and so it's funny. So one of the differences, I mean, like Dracula 31, we never see... I mean, we see... Lugosi kind of creeping up on Renfield to yes. almost bite him. But there was a whole, and, and you can go back and listen to Dracula 31. We kind of get into that, why the yes. filmmakers didn't want to show a man right. biting another man. Yes. But in this one, the trope with at least the Orlock vampire is that he's not turning people when he bites them. He's like, he literally kills or could kill them. So I think the power of this vampire is, or I should say the lack of power is he does not get for him to bite whomever. He's not turning them into a vampire. I guess is one of the differences between say the Stoker book, Dracula 31 and in this film, you know, Scott, I've been watching this film for 20 years and that never occurred to me that, that, that that difference that he's not trying to turn anyone else into vampires he's just a guy running around literally that. just and a that's predator. a huge difference that's yeah that's a, i mean the whole thing in dracula is the idea that this vampire who just wants to feed suddenly just changes his mind and starts deciding to like to like make himself a bride and if not a bride then an entire you know thing that's a big difference that's really interesting that that's his entire intent is different and you're right that does it sort of takes a it takes a shade away from the character, right? That he's he's just after me, and he just wants or Ellen in this film. He just wants to drink her, not not, right. not no, turn it's, her it's, into his bride. That's right. That's it's true. It's truly food, and it makes you wonder now his origins. So he probably yes. just uh, the assumption is you know someone didn't bite him to turn him into Orlock the vampire. So right. where the hell? Where did he come from? It, is he just like a spawn of exactly the devil? It, you know. So it's, yeah. It's so a, he. It's a. It's a more. Not, I don't want to call it simple. It's just like a raw iteration of yeah. vampire. And I think, it, I think in more contemporary stuff, there's there's been this idea that like the Nosferatu is sort of a a earlier like a primate version of a vampire, right? In Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they do this too. There's this idea of like this this vampire in one of the seasons towards the end shows up, and it's a very Nosferatu looking type vampire. And the idea is like that that vampire is to humans the way a Neanderthal is to us. Mm. That vampire is to, is to, I'm sorry, a Dracula, the way a Neanderthal is to us. So, so, so maybe there's this idea that vampire, that, that, that not sure is this prototype vampire, you know, Makes not as much sense. Yeah. Maybe he's, I like it. Yeah. He has, yeah I, I love that idea. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I will roll with that. So, so yeah, Hunter gets his little letter off to, to uh, Ellen, you know, it's that night again, there's some great shots of the trees in the sky in, in, you know, out, out, out in Slovakia or in Germany, wherever they shot these exteriors. And then, you know, it evening comes again and here's, here he is in his, in his room. And there's this, it, one of the iconic scenes in the movie is this idea when the, the door just opens and, and Nosferatu is just standing at the end of the hallway, like right. staring and, at him in the darkness. Right. And this is the first time in the movie we see him with a, not the first time we hatless. see hatless, right? Yes. He yeah. looks like a demon, those friggin' pointy ears. Yeah. 
and just everything. So he yeah, looks he's like, kept those tucked in until now. Then yeah. so he almost sells as like this, you know, maybe he's just got like some problems with his teeth or something, right? This is like um, the, this is like the payoff moment. Yeah, right. When the door opens up and now you see Count Olaf in all his wonderful, glorious nastiness. And he's lost this even the slight amount of humanness in motion and stuff like that. Now he's all stiff and whatever. And his nails have grown his nails in the scene where he's, you know, Oh, your wife has a lovely neck and stuff like that. His nails are long and sharp, but they're not these talons. And, and I'm sure that was on purpose. It's not referenced within the film, like why his nails suddenly grow. But as, as he gets towards the ship, now we suddenly see he's got these claw, these, these like Eagle claws, right? These gigantic. I almost wondered if it's not, is he, he, is he getting stronger? I mean, he, is just bit hotter having fed him on maybe, just yeah. fed him and, and then when he gets on the ship he basically becomes like this walking plague and kills right. everybody on the ship so to me like he's just drawing the you know, life is blood the blood is a life yeah. is he just getting stronger now so now he's morphing into this all-powerful thing yes, right yes i, I like i like that theory <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that yes so so yeah warlock comes in and 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 goes to, and 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 uh and this this is like he's not even tricking Hutter and in, in making him fall asleep and then biting him. He he's he's going for him and Hutter realizes the actual thing he's in. Um and this is, you know, if, if the vampire is about almost anything, it's this idea of, of you know, in essence, he, he's a non-consensual lover, right? I mean, he he's kind of a, he's a blood rapist. He's, you know, mm-hmm. he he takes people against their will in this in this physical act of bodily fluid exchanging and stuff like that. You get where I'm going. So it's it's this it's this assault. It's this it's this violation of of Hutter um that he does. And then what we have here and th- this this exists in the book a little bit is this day. So Ellen Armina wakes up and starts sleepwalking up and down the the balcony and and, and in her in her little nightgown. But he utters parked Ellen with with his with their friends because apparently Ellen can't live it's 1922 in Germany and a woman can't live by herself in the in the house they live in. So he's like his friends are watching her, right? Right. He's like baby babysitting his wife because God she there's no way a grown woman could possibly take care of herself yeah. without the man home. But you get this idea that Ellen maybe there's there's something a little ethereal about her, even in the beginning mm. when she's petting the cat. And when she's like, oh, why did you cut the flowers? Why did you kill them? There's 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 something about her that she's almost like half in another world anyway. And maybe yeah. maybe that's maybe that's the intent of the character. Again, you know, we're, we're joking about the bigness of Hutter's performance, you know, the performance of Hutter and stuff. But coming, you know, the intent of this movie by Murnau and, and Grau is not to make a something. This is why it's called German Expressions. It, it's not meant to be natural or realistic. Everything is stylized. The performances the the costumes the looks the the lighting everything you know it, it's it's all stylization so it's done in a after when I was a big fan of 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 Nietzsche and of Ibsen's plays and stuff so he's they're going for a heightened reality I guess is this thing we should say right yeah 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 she very aloof she almost reminded me of like Shelley Duvall from The Shining like yeah not not an, she's not on on equal footing with her partner right but 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 there's this idea that they have so so in in the first biting of hutter and maybe it maybe now he shares a connection with with ellen because not to get whatever but hutter and her have shared bodily fluids no he shared bodily fluids so maybe it's all in the blood who knows but somehow biting hutter now gives orlock a connection to to uh to to ellen and i think this is this is like he's like okay now 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 we're now i have a real reason to leave and go to wisborg yeah. cuz why was he going to wisborg i mean 
what what is the plan like the setup with knock and stuff like that what's his i gotta go to Wizborg. we don't we don't know right exactly we don't know because he had never heard of ellen before even if he had you know fallen in love but I, who yes. knows like it's just one of those things you just don't know um you know. again we're talking about a film in 1922 but yeah yeah no exactly and um, again and again it's not it's not supposed to totally stand up to like it's it's the impression you get from it that's right um even before but it's interesting like we we're saying like even before nosferatu is is feeding on Ellen. Ellen is coming under his sway and she's, you know, losing some of her power and strength and autonomy. Right. Very much uh, like uh, me and very much like Lucy. Like, they're yeah, yeah. Like Lucy, like, like, I, don't, I didn't get the sense that she's dying so much like Mina was or Lucy, but yeah, yeah, she's losing her grip on almost reality. Yeah. And there's this thing she's fighting against, right? That, that, that is tapping her of her energy. Hutter goes down in the basement and another one of these cool shots um, and this is a place where I feel like the music in this version just tanks. He he goes down the crypt, finds Orlock lying in, in his coffin, you know, there's and there's a great bit where there's like a crack in the coffin which seems to be a, a thing that I would have patched up if her were I a vampire. Um, a big hole in your <laughs> coffin kind of defeats the purpose of lying in that coffin, right? That he see and he sees Nosferatu and he realizes what this thing is. He realizes this is an undead thing and this is the thing he's been reading about in, in right. this book that was so kindly put into his bag by the by the you know, the, the the people at the end. It's like, oh, so this is what Nock meant by the land of phantoms. Now I get it. Oh, he wasn't being metaphorical. No, this okay. <laughs> They're all he was um, right on the nose. So 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 this is um there and there's they make a uh, the film makes a big a, a bit of a scene about this is this race to to get back to Wisborg. Uh and this is a big thing in in, in right towards the in the end of Nost in the end of Bram Stoker's Dracula, it's it's the race to to beat Dracula back to Transylvania from and, and Dracula has Mina. In this version, it's it's a race to get to Wisborg and you know, Nosferatu's his coffins are piled onto a raft, and there's a great scene where he's he's going down this amazingly dangerous looking river, and these guys are on a big goofy looking raft, and and all the coffins are on it. That I don't know where I they know. shot this, but it's really cool. It's like Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. It like, is, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the idea is and again going, not. Yeah. I'm assuming again a trope with a vampire. If you get, you know, you get wet, you're gonna die. If you, you know, sunlight. At least with this vampire, sunlight is gonna kill him. Yes. So let's go on an open river and paddle down. You know, there's like this on a raging river. Yeah, raging it's, river. Right. Seems risky, but I guess he's willing to take risks. Yeah, um, that's fine. There, there is a lot. I remember reading a lot about uh, legends about vampires, and one of them was that they can't cross. Uh, running water um oh, yeah. and and yeah. and the and the vampire and the drug the stoker book and this obviously kind of flying the face of that obviously because yeah. he's got to get there somehow but i mean we're we're just about to get to the point and maybe my favorite part of the of the film and certainly where i think a lot of the iconic imagery is is on this excuse me is on this ship yes Act just three. a really wonderful scene and that's when they call it like you know this is where i think you know, the, the true plague of this character happens like again he's not turning humans and vampires he is just killing you know people one at a time yeah, like yeah. the black plague and there's even a, uh, a little cut scene in the film where i think they say quote the death ship has a new captain so basically yeah. after nosferatu has gone and wiped out everybody now he is in full control of, of the ship which i love that the death ship mm-hmm. has a new captain yeah I, I yeah, yeah. no no that. i, I like great it stuff. Uh, yeah it's called um it's given a different name in the in the uh the impusa impusa i don't know uh is the name of the boat in this it's it's the demeter in the in the mm-hmm. uh, stoker book and it's the var the, the vestra the best in uh, yes. in uh, in uh, the thirty one version, and th- there's there's already a thing where they're saying they're shutting down ports. There's there's a there's an infestation of plague yep. um, in in Transylvania, and what it is is when he's on the dock, when his coffins are on the dock of of to in in, in Varna to uh, 
to sale, when the guys like tip over when the coffin the coffins and all these rats come out. Yeah. The, so Orlock is taking all his dirt that that's a, that within the context of the film, you know, and, and in the book, you know, that he not only the vampire not only has to lay in the ground, he has to lay in this like unsacred earth yes. to to gain his power. So right. so again, we talk about like like you know, villains are more interesting when they do have some weaknesses, right? That you can exploit. And the vampire is a great character because there you know there's there's the stake, there's the cross, there's garlic, there's the sun, and there's this idea that he has to travel with the this particular vampire has to travel with these these the sacred this unsacred earth that or it's from the black plague or something like that so but the idea of because it's from the black plague when they tip it over all these rats come out and suddenly as nosferatu is leaving varna the plague hits varna because of these rats so he he infects infects the the port yeah almost that, twofold that infection right. follows him right and i, I always love the scene that when he gets so he finally will fast forward a little bit so when he orlock finally gets to the mainland and he is truly the blue collar vampire. So rather than having like pe- peeps there to like take his coffin to the castle, <laughs> no, right? He scoops his freaking he scoops a cat the coffin under his arm and starts walking around town with his coffin. I I mean he's yeah. I, I think there I think there's been funny <laughs> stuff done with this too, where they put it to music and it's just it's just it's just the like dude ben, wandering around town carrying his coffin. You need be- so Benny Hill music. Sped motion with his casket. Walking around this town with a coffin. It's it's awesome. It's amazing. Ellen has finally gotten Hutter's letter to her that he wrote in the castle when everything was kind of going fine. Hutter is 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 in this priory now. He was found and he's been taken care of by the nuns. And then and then he he has this moment where he's like, I gotta get to Ellen. Yeah, Orlock's after he suddenly realizes it. Yeah. You know, okay, okay. I got, <laughs> I must go as quickly as possible. So, so now it's this race, and again, there's this whole thing where you know Nosferatu is going to be on the boat, and and he's going to take some time, and and Hutter tries to go overland, and and uh, the vampire still beats him, because <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, again, um, this race, this race to Allen. Yeah, finally yeah. happens. But great shot, great shots of this boat too. They 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 do some. There's a shot where they're I, I don't know they're on like a little motorboat or something and they're sailing towards it. So the boat's like kind of coming towards us. The sails are neat. It's a schooner rather than a big three mast ship. So it's got this angled thing. So again, like everything is paid attention to. It's still these big square sails. You have these triangular scales. They're really it's beautiful. It is beautiful. I mean, again, I cannot preface this enough. Nineteen twenty two. Then mm-hmm. again, I do not want to shit on Dracula thirty one because it's, it's a great film i'm telling you transylvania some of my favorite scenes but you go back and look at this whole film and again some of these outdoor the scenes on the boat like you said mm-hmm. just around around this this towns it is just so wonderful i can i, I mean i don't sound like a yeah. broken record but yeah. so so impressed to now go back watch a thing on blu-ray with the goggles of somebody who has to now not that we're really reviewing the film break but it to look at it with more analytical eyes and man, oh man, do I, I mean, I love this film tenfold than I did, you know, I, I will get, oh yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that this version exists. I will, here's my other thing about the DVD that, that I'm not, I'm just saying this is a personal preference. I remember watching this film on, on VHS and then I think on DVD and I actually, I think in like 2001, I, I went to, I was still living in Pittsburgh and the, the Pittsburgh, the orchestra, the civic light orchestra, we, on Halloween night, they showed this on the big screen and the or- the full orchestra played music along with it. And let me just, we were in the balcony of this old thing. And let me just say, like, if you ever get a chance to do something like that, Oof. when this thing is playing, do it. Cause it's, that's the way it was intended to be seen. Right. I mean, yeah. not only on the big screen, but with a, with live music and it was awesome. Oh, what a trip. Um, yeah. It's like, it's like when they did Dracula and the Kronos Quartet, remember the, the, yes. played, the uh, played the glass, oh uh, the glass version. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I, I remember seeing this many times in black and white, in full black and white without the color tints. And, 
and I wish that this edition had, and I know the versions they restored were from the colorized, where they put the, I don't know exactly how they did, they put a color mask on top of these scenes. And I get the effect, I like it. It it sometimes, for me, draws away from the purity of the photography. Suddenly it's green, and suddenly it's orange, and suddenly it's blue, and suddenly, like, right. I, 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 I mean, I guess I could just turn down the color saturation on my TV and watch it if I really wanted to do that. Well, I wonder but if that was in an attempt because I think one of the knocks on this film was it was basically filmed in daylight. And the yes, thing, yes, and we'll, yes. you know, spoiler alert, Sun kills this vampire. It yes. doesn't weaken him. It doesn't, Sun kills this vampire. So this whole film has been filmed in in the daylight. Yeah. So I yeah, think they did not have the capability of filming in, in it. They didn't have the lights to the necessary to film in at right. nighttime in at this era of, of, of filmmaking. They didn't have the big HMIs we have now, or they didn't even have the the old the old time ones uh, that even in in Universal era they they did because those those the, that was a technology technological thing and also just a financial thing. There's a lot where Nosferatu's wandering around during the day. Yeah, we, we, it's a you know we so, get it. I don't know an attempt to maybe you know clean that up. Yeah, I, yeah, it's a little tinty and it reminds mm-hmm. me of my old like. TV I hit back when I was like 12 years old with the little rabbit ears and yeah. the, the UHF yeah. channels. And I just, I just whatever. like, it would be neat to see this in a pure black and white state. And, and I I've got some crappy version DVDs that I could probably do that with if I wanted to, but, but I do having said that, I mean, the picture is, is so glorious. Um, so one thing I was reading Jim and I don't know if I'm assuming we both watch the same version. So if you, if you buy the Blu-ray, it's a two disc yes. edition. So one has the English subtitles, one has the German. And what I've been reading is that the German, disc is a lot clearer um the, oh really not not cropped as much um so it, oh. it sounds like it looks a lot better than the I'm english the- version i i obviously for the the purposes of this podcast i watch the english version but yes kind of why i may pop it on later on tonight and just see if i notice the difference but i might do that same thing too i mean i, I mean we get the story so it's not like <laughs> yeah the only difference is the intertitles because there's no dialogue I will. I'm going to check that out. That sounds neat. Almost yeah. like the the Spanish version, of Dracula 31, is like actually a better print and a better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's because it, it was tampered with less. That's really interesting. Uh, everyone, everyone's, everyone's reconvening back in Wisborg. I just like saying Wisborg, by the way. <laughs> Wisborg. Wisborg. <laughs> I don't know. It is a lot of fun, and uh, man, I'm I'm almost ready to get to the end here. Like, there's not a whole. I mean, there's, there's yeah. A lot of- there's a lot of stuff going on here, but I mean, ultimately, it's kind of like the the ultimate payoff at the end. I mean, yeah. I don't well, know. well, well, well. Knock escapes, um, yeah, and, so, and, and yeah. runs around, and there's some kind of fun stuff with him, like running around all the mob chasing him. So, so we actually get a mob chasing somebody scene in this, which is which just seems to be kind of requisite. That's pretty fun. Yeah, we can't say uh, enough. Knock, knock is definitely the. Uh, I mean, besides, I mean, obviously, um, Shrek as Orlock is just an incredible, mm-hmm. iconic character. But you know, uh, Alexander Granish's knock. He, he deserves a. Um, he deserves he's some a, applause here he's, he's a great. he's a scene stealer yeah no he, yeah. he he's fantastic we're gonna, he's, we're gonna take some time on our maybe on instagram and facebook page we're gonna call this guy out he he deserves a little uh admiration it's a great it's a great uh uh depiction um uh as, as this older version of renfield but you know I, I do like how the idea of the dracula story is so strong that you can you can change so much about the dracula you know the the stoker idea and it still is inherently stokers i mean they really did change not just changing the Renfield and and knock character and some of the other things and stuff. You know, the the the, the plague idea is such a departure from the the you know the Stoker idea that is that's really interesting. I think the I think the boxes of dirt, frankly, are the are the real giveaway that that this is totally I mean, obviously the plot is is sort of similar to the Stoker book. Yeah. But but him having to take the boxes of dirt is such a intrinsically stokery uh idea. Um, that, yeah. that, that, that I, I feel like in the, whatever, you know, if we could recreate the court 
scene where Florence Stoker's there saying like this is a ripoff. You know, you could change all the names and stuff like, but that's a detail. That's a really specific detail that they they copped from the uh, the Stoker story, and, and the title itself as well, because Stoker. The idea of Nosferatu, like we're not entirely sure about where Nosferatu comes from. There's a lot of ideas. The, the word Nosferatu, um, Stoker uses it in the book as as just one of the ways he he they, people describe what 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 Dracula is. But it's a mistranslation. It, vampire is really the what what Slovakian people call would would call Dracula. Uh, Ordog is another word. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Strigoi is in you know th- there was a lot of words, but but and he uses those, but he uses Nosferatu, and that's where the title of this movie comes. So so the title itself is based on that. But but as as a word, we're not entirely sure about what the origins of Nosferatu the word is. Though it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, again, something else from the book, and maybe just a, a matter of not being able to you know film it correctly. But like going back to the the Stoker book. One of the the benefits of Dracula feeding off the blood is that he gains strength, but he gains youth, right? Yes, and they yeah. do a good job, with like in nineteen ninety two. So I mean, that trope isn't really played up in in this one. And really, there's no he like, doesn't get any prettier. He doesn't get any prettier. No, if anything, his, <laughs> his, his nails, nails get, get long. long. Yeah. His nails get longer. His fangs get sharper, and yeah. maybe he's becoming more like his true nature. Who knows? But yeah, yes, too. And so he's never really confronted. I'm talking about Nosferatu. Nobody really confronts him. Like there's no trinkets. There's no crucifix. There's true, no holy true. water to drive him back. Like that doesn't happen in this film. I doubt I mean, Grau would have wanted to invest him with any kind of Judeo-Christian weaknesses, right? Because being being a being an occultist, it's it's interesting. It is. It's it's a it's a different take on that. Yeah, I, I mean, really, the only thing that ultimately, and we can get her if you want to, but basically, he. I mean, I, I don't know how far you want to skip to the to the end here, Jim. But we, no, it's fine. We certainly can, but I mean, he basically his death his death occurs after he feeds off of Ellen, and he kind of loses track of time. <laughs> yeah, it, well, well, the idea is, I think the I think the overall idea is that a sacrifice is required to to destroy the vampire, and and Ellen has to be required, you know, has to be ready to make that sacrifice. So, I mean, here's the difference, right? Like the Mina character here, Ellen does not. As far as I see, does not survive this movie. Like she, she, she dies, right? She sacrifices herself by letting him feed on her, and he feeds on her to the point of of killing her. I think because at the end we have Hutter kind of holding on to her, and it's like, oh, you know, right? Um, and 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 she does manage to kill the vampire, but she has to sacrifice herself to do it, which is an interesting again, like comparing Ellen to Hutter. I mean, Hutter just Hutter just Hutter just doesn't really manage to do much proactive, but but the Ellen character is the one who's willing to to pay the price to to you know rid the world of this evil. So I guess she, you know, maybe has some knowledge that, you know, the sun is rising and I don't know how yeah. she knows that maybe the sun. Well, she knows? reads the book. She somehow finds Hutter's vampire book and, and, so and understands and, and the weakness like, must, must hold the thing. I'm just at the point in the movie I'm watching on my TV. He's, he looks like he's lost. He's wandering around Wisborg carrying this coffin. Right. He's like, so I should, there's nobody asked directions because it's nighttime, I guess, you know, he's just like, it is so funny. Yeah. Trying to look for a place to lay his head. This movie does. It falls into the the problem of a lot of versions of of, of Dracula that I I find is that you know in in Transylvania or where in his castle Dracula you know is this incredibly powerful character and when he when he gets to when you get in like the second half of these stories when he gets to. England or Wisborg or whatever, he starts getting just outwitted by his lessers. Like he just becomes less of a, he, he, he's taught, I mean, in this one, like Nosferatu doesn't even have any dialogue once he gets to to Germany. Yeah, it becomes like um, a fish out of water story. Yeah, yeah. And he just gets, uh, I don't want to say dumb, but he's just, 
he's just easily he's, he's kind of easily fooled in this version yes yeah. but even in the in the the you know the todd browning film you know uh, there's a bit of a test of wills and stuff against between edward van sloan and, and bella lugosi where you know i if i could crush your bone you know this one he's just sort of like wanders around like a like a creep <laughs> you know again like a peeping tom staring at, at, at like, ellen like, through the window with a, with a coffin under his arm yeah don't forget that like uh, my favorite part is when he, he he gets in this little boat with his coffin and he's just you know going across the little river to again it's these they were um they were these salt storage uh, buildings that had been built in the 1500s that uh not far too like claims as, as his as his home which he, you know he has i guess he's legally bought them so they are his home but he does just fall for this very simple ending where where she does this and it's uh, again when i'm not criticizing it's a silent film it's 1922 it's all this other stuff but this film spends a lot of time on the rat issue and and a lot of time in this latter half with like all these ship people who go on board and find the dead um right. captain lashed to the wheel and they get they get the ship's diary and they learn whatever like the plague but this is how they learn that there's the, the the ship had the plague. Um, they shut everything down. And, and I was, I think I posted last night on Twitter, like, I think one of the most fantastic ideas about this movie now in watching in 2022 is the fact that they, they shut, they shut down Wisborg, right? They go into lockdown because the plague's there and everyone actually stays home. No one violates the, <laughs> the stay at home order and goes out like we've seen pretty recently. Now, if we had done <laughs> that, COVID would have been over like two years ago. I, I know. Anyway. Everyone, everyone goes, oh, I guess I should stay home. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't even order from Amazon. <laughs> uh but yeah uh yeah. what's my my final note on this just says hutter sucks um <laughs> hutter, really hutter does suck i mean um, yeah i mean i guess what we learn is though the the only thing or one of the things that can kill this vampire is the sun and as jim pointed out ellen i guess makes the ultimate sacrifice by allowing orlock to feed on her just a little bit too long so by the time orlock is done mm-hmm. feeding her he kind of you know becomes aware again looks around and we see now the sun rising up and basically just turns into a big poof of a fog there, yeah there's a great moment where he looks up and you have this oh crap moment it's like oh. right 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 i mean you'd think he'd, he'd be more practiced by now but that's okay i if always wanted i want to like I wanted the uh, Lon Chaney kind of um, Alcar like put it off. You hear me? Like sh- sh- <laughs> pull down the shade. You hear me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I just close the blinds, um, but he leaves the blinds open. No, and and you know we've skipped past. There is this 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 moment where he's he he decides to he goes across the street. Um, Hutter goes to get she has the dream, and Hutter goes to get our our version of Professor Van Helsing in this in this story. Uh, I don't know how he knows him, but that's, there's this whole thing leaving leaving her there, and I think that's kind of her plan, kind of like she gets him out of the way so that she can you know she knows uh she's seen Nosferatu staring at her and she lures him in and he he comes in and, and he's gonna um you know do do what he does and she knows what's gonna happen and we have that just a great couple shots of, of the vampire coming up the stairs to her bedroom and it's just the shadow and we see the claws <sighs> and we see everything like that and it's just so iconic that it is and you see it you see it mimicked all the time and you see you see like you know someone in there digitally added the, the silhouettes of uh, the shadows of a shaggy and scooby that he's like falling up the stairs you know <laughs> so. i mean we saw it like when we were reviewing house of horrors you know some of yeah. the, just that shadow work i mean it comes right from this german expressionism oh, oh no absolutely and and you know so this you know you realize that you know obviously our main focus on the on the show is the universal films that come out starting in 31 and moving into the 40s and you see the influence of this movie on those movies i talk about the long shadow of those movies but this one is was was something that ev- all, all of them managed to see i think because even though you know without it being destroyed um, and and it it impacted especially like you get like robert flory doing rumors and rumor is super influenced by this and oh, by God, yeah. by uh, uh cabinet of caligari 
Yeah, great point. So, just... so the film ends on kind of a down note. I mean, the, the, you know, uh, uh, Ellen is dead. And then we have this one final shot. Uh, well, Ellen's dead and Hutter's all upset. And our our version of Dr. Van Helsing is, is like, well, and I think supposedly he's our narrator, right? Like the things we're reading about, he's saying like, this is how the plague came to Wisborg in 1830 something, you know? Um, so I think I think the our version of Van Helsing in this in this book in this in this film is uh, the narrator. Is the narrator. The that's that's how I read it. That's how I read it too. Story, yeah. yeah. They also moved it back to 1830s, right? I mean, yeah, 1838. Uh, I, mean, I think. Yeah. I mean, Dracula said in a in a contemporary world when it comes out, so it's 1890s. So for some reason, they decided to put this one back, which is interesting. Yeah, I think it's 1838 Germany. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that's it. Yeah, everyone's dead and everyone's sad. The end and. Yeah, and then we have this final shot of these ruins, and it. I think the idea is that it's it's Nosferatu's castle um, has now fallen into ruins. So maybe it's a more contemporary. Maybe it's supposedly the Van Helsing character in 1922, you know, in contemporary to the film coming out, talking about this thing that happened 90 years ago, or maybe or something like that. I think that's a good read. Yeah, and the idea is this this shot, this final shot of Nosferatu's castle is a contemporary shot of it now. Like we've we've got forward in time and and the filmmakers have gone and shown looks and now see not only is, is Nosferatu dead, but his castle is now like lays in ruin. So that's how I, that's how I took it. I almost I almost felt yeah. like he's like teach like he's like a professor like te- like telling a class or telling his grandkids yes of the story that happened 60 years right. ago. Right. We're seeing a dramatized version that's right. of it. That's um, right. But it gives I, I love that last shot of the movie. Really it's one of my favorite shots of the movie because it it takes what could be just like a oh then it ended like we Scott we joke about universal movies kind of sometimes just ending you know like yeah very oh, Empire's dead we're done. Um, it, it puts just that little button on the end of it, like, oh, and, and, and it's just a little bit of a up. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, this was a sad story and the lady died, but <laughs> evil was evil was conquered. So it's good. Yeah. I'm glad we got to talk about this. this, this oh, it me was too. A, Scott and I were talking right before we started recording about like, I don't think either of us had realized like there's a little bit of a responsibility to talk about this movie. It's a, it's an important film. It's huge. And I'll be, I mean, dead honest. I didn't, I don't think I realized like some of the other movies, like going in to do like say Frankenstein. I was friggin' nervous, man. Yes. I did not. I don't know if I felt the weight of this film until I actually sat down with my laptop to take notes and did my research when I finally it hit me how important this film is. Like, and I, I, man, I was late to the game. Like I've watched this film. I appreciated it, but not to this level. This is a huge film for it's, horror, for, dire, you know, directing. For and a lot's film. been written about it. A lot's been said about it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's no captive wild women. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> Certainly not. But no, I am very proud to say I am call me Johnny come lately, but man, this film blew me away and pick up the Blu-ray if you can, because it is, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great iteration of it. And um, there's a little bit of a documentary on it as well. It's not as, as in-depth as I would have preferred, but that's okay. Um, I'm nerdy like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it was kind of cool. Like some of the extras had like clips of like some, you know, other other horror movies from the from that mm-hmm. era and mm-hmm. yeah no no and it's wanna... it's, 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 a, it's a touchstone one and it's it's our first uh silent film we've talked about which is so so that's kind of neat true yeah we're gonna get right. to phantom pretty soon i hope and yeah, uh, pretty soon and caligari caligari for sure yeah. and yeah yeah well i think i'm gonna throw on the german version here pretty soon and uh see how she looks yeah, I'm going to put that on in the background or something uh, tonight while I'm working or something. That'll be great. So great. cool, man. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Absolutely. No, thank you so much. Really good time. And um, thanks everyone for listening to the Bogo Pass Hard Podcast. And we'll talk to you soon. Next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Thank you.